Verse 18, now in the morning, as Jesus returned to the city, now remember he was, um, the day before he was in the temple, he turned the temple over and the tables of the money changers, you remember that? And he fashioned a cord and, whoosh, and he just went, he just opened up a can of Jesus on him. And then he goes to the house of, of Mary in Bethany, which is the house of the impoverished, the house of poor. Well, he's rested there that night. And the Bible says that oftentimes Jesus would awake long before the sun would arise and go to a solitary place and there rest, or excuse me, there commune with the Father. So he's up early. The likelihood is he missed breakfast. Uh, he got back, Mary and Martha, whoever had already cooked and everybody had eaten and the disciples were pigs and just devoured it all. And he comes back, there's nothing. He says, we got to get going. We got to get to the temple. So they leave Bethany to head to the temple and he's hungry. So now in the morning, as he returned to the city, meaning Jerusalem, he was hungry. Verse 19, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? And Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, everyone say prayer, prayer. believing you will receive. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders and the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They're saying this to God. I thought it was funny. Verse 24, but Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will t tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, fellas, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And I love the Pharisees. They're like, hey, huddle. And, you know, <laughs> and they all gather and they're reasoning among themselves. They're in a little tight little circle and they reason among themselves saying, Okay, fellas, listen, if we say it's from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they go, okay, yeah, that's not going to work. So they break their huddle and they come over to Jesus and they answered and said to Jesus, uh, we don't know. And you hear the crowd go, oh, political answer. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Touche. So he just kind of leaves it at that. Now, he tells this parable in verse 28. He says, what do you think? He tells this to the Pharisees. What do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will not. <laughs> we never had kids like that. <laughs> but afterward, he regretted it. The, the son regretted it and went. And then he came to the second son and said, likewise. And the son answered and said, I go, sir. But he didn't go. None of us have ever kids like, take out the trash. Okay, dad, <laughs> come back. Thank you. And then Jesus says, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. It's better to be a sinner than a hypocrite. Did you hear that? For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So that's what we're going to cover. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you've given us this picture of this fig tree and you've given us this parable of the two sons. And you did it all while you declared judgment on the temple, a temple that was filled with hypocrisy. It had the, the leaves of promise, but no fruit. And it was just barren of fruit. 
and the world would come and, and hope and, and come great distances to find hope and realize there's nothing there. It's void and empty of anything that sustains. But yet, God, you came to clear it out, to set it right. And what you did there, you're doing here in our lives and in the life of the church, capital C. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would lead us into all truth and you'd minister to us and bless us and that we would submit and that we would be like the first son. We all struggle, Lord. We all doubt. But ultimately, when we obey, you bless us. And so, Lord, we commit this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. The reason why I wanted to come and take a look at um, Mark's account in Mark chapter 11, Mark uh, puts it in a perspective that is... uh, very insightful, and it's a great teaching way in which Mark approaches this. Mark, the Gospel of Mark is kind of like a Reader's Digest version. He breaks it down simple. He does short statements. Everything's quick. It's like he's just giving a, a quick blurb. It's like a Twitter account, uh, you know, it's, as opposed to just a whole website. And, um, and he points out in Mark 11, starting in verse 11, he says, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple and when he had looked around at all the things in the house, uh, and as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he goes back to the, the house of the poor, and there he lodges. And the next day when he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And now you're thinking, now this is cruel. God's destroying a tree that isn't producing figs when it should be producing figs. Sounds like it, but... There's more to it. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Now watch this. So the fig tree event happens. He's hungry. He sees the leaves from a distance. He makes an effort to walk towards the tree. When he gets to the tree, there's no figs, nothing to sustain him. And he he curses this tree. The disciples heard it. Very important. Now verse 15, they came to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple, began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, is it not written, and this is out of Isaiah 56, he quotes, my house shall be called a house of prayer, everyone say prayer, Prayer. to all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. At this point, because of what Jesus did, this right here has given them the motive to kill him. They want him dead. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remembered, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree, which you cursed is withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast on the sea and has no doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to have faith in faith. Like you got to believe and it'll happen. You have faith in God. Faith in God means you're praying according to his will. It's not, if I believe hard enough, I got that Ferrari. That's not how it works. Everyone got that? <laughs> not name it, claim it, or blab it, grab it. It is the idea we're verse 24 therefore i say to you whatever things you ask when you pray believe that you receive them and you will have them and whenever you stand praying and this is a very important thing whenever you stand praying verse 25 if you have anything against anyone forgive him pausing for emphasis that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses But if you do not forgive, 
neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You know, that's what makes the church so hypocritical. We talk about a God of mercy and grace and come to find forgiveness and we don't extend it. Well, that's no transformed life. Verse 27, then they came again to Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they did the same thing saying the baptism of John, Jesus asked them that question. But they said, by what authority? And Jesus says, okay, well, let's ask you about the baptism of John. And then they say, well, we don't know. And then Jesus says, and neither will I answer you. You see, what's happened here is Jesus is declaring judgment on the temple and he's using the fig tree as a prophetic illustration of that judgment. The fig tree applies to our lives. It applies to the church, capital C, around the world. The one thing God wants to avoid for his body, which is the church, is hypocrisy. It's better to be a sinner than a hypocrite. A hypocrite is not someone who says something and doesn't do it. I mean, you're trying to do it, but you don't attain it. The church sets standards for itself. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do, right? And then we fail to obtain that. Don't be angry in your anger. Do not sin. Don't lie. And if there's anyone who's without sin, stand up, because we need to send you on a 72-hour lockdown. <laughs> sin just simply means missing the mark. It's, you're not perfect, is what I'm saying. Is there anyone who's perfect? Again, we'll send you to Happy Dale. There's nobody in the room who wants to see a videotape of what they think in secret or have said in secret or have done in secret. Nobody. And that being said, that means we've all failed to obtain this level of purity. Yes? We're not sinless. Hopefully we're sinning less, but we're not sinless. And I even struggle with that because the Apostle Paul started his ministry by saying, I'm a sinner. And he ended his ministry, the last book, 2 Timothy, the last one he wrote before he was beheaded. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. You'd think he would have improved, right? And so hypocrisy is not setting a standard and failing to obtain it. Hypocrisy is knowing what the standard is and keeping people from it for the sake of personal gain. Did you understand that? So the Pharisees realized, okay, he has fulfilled all the requirements for the Messiah. He's accomplished these miracles no one has ever done But if we yield to him, we lose this corner on the market. There were 20,000 Pharisees and Sadducees. There was probably 10,000 rabbis. The amount of money that was flowing in and out of the temple, and they called it the court of the Gentiles, but really in in, uh, 1 Kings, it was supposed to be the court of all nations. And it was a place where the world could come to find a God of grace and mercy, and they'd come to make a sacrifice, and they were permitted to have access. And we went through this whole study two weeks ago where they would get completely ripped off. They'd travel from great distances, bring their animal to come to the Passover, to sacrifice the animal. They, the priest would say, this is an unacceptable animal, and it's blemish. You say, where's the blemish? They said, I, I don't need to have this argument with you. It's unacceptable. Now get out of the line. And the lines were long. Millions of people would descend upon Jerusalem, and crowds and crowds and crowds. Just to give you an example, we can't go to Israel in 2018. It's the 75th anniversary of them as a nation, and every hotel room is filled the entire year. Imagine all the people descending at Passover, trying to get a room, 
And, and, and so they come at great expense themselves, traveling after the diaspora, Jews all over the known world, traveling to Jerusalem at great expense of themselves, bringing their animal. They get there. It's unacceptable. They say, you have to go get an accepted animal, and you have to go over to that line. They get in that line. They wait. They come up. They go, uh, you go to pay for it, and you pull out your Roman coinage. They go, oh, we only use temple money. You've got to go get in that line. You're like, son of a gun. So you go get in this super long line. You wait in that line. You give them your Roman money. They exchange it for the temple money. You get ripped off on the exchange rate. And you're like, this is a joke. You have the pittance of you've just been taken advantage of. You get back in the line for the accepted animals. When you get to the front to pay for the accepted animal, guess what you find in the pen? Your animal that you had to sell. And and there it is, all of a sudden it's acceptable. And you think this is a racket. That's what the church can be considered, a racket. Our buildings are magnificent. Our budgets are big. Oh, we have baptisms and people raise their hands. The music is unbelievable. The smoke, the lights, the mirrors. Uh, the way in the videotapes and the, the entertainment is a show. You can't believe it. It's phenomenal. <sighs> and yet it has no ability to transform the world. It's void of any substance, any, anything to change the world. For example, when, when, the, when Hurricane Harvey went through Houston, in a small area of Houston, downtown Houston, almost $5 billion in real estate occupied by four of the largest churches in America existed in that little se- section. None of them opened their doors for any of the folks that had been hurt. It's a church that's had no effect, but their budgets. And I remember speaking of one church in particular, they had been robbed of their cash offering, not the, the checks and all the electronic. They'd just been robbed of the cash offering which was like a million dollars. And, I, I'm, and, and I, I've listened to this minister and, you know, he's great public speaker, um, funny, um, captivating, um, articulate. And I've, I seldom have ever hear anything of scripture. Certainly nothing that would discourage or anything that would challenge or anything that would... You certainly would stay away from this idea of hypocrisy. Stay away from anything controversial. You just, you got to have the leaves out there so it looks really cool. But the fruit, the fruit is this idea of relationships, working Christ into your life and endeavoring to maintain this family where relationships are significant and we, we grow together and we, we're in this course of life together. We transform our community together. And so in this picture, Jesus is, is speaking this in a sense to the temple because these people come to feed upon mercy and grace, and they find nothing except for a ripoff, a scam. And I got to tell you, religion is a great way to make money. It's tax-free. And, and you, can, you can really take advantage of people. And I'll tell you what, if you just make this contribution, I have wiped my head with this rag, and I'm going to send that to you. I've never done that. I was thinking about it, but I didn't <laughs> These religious leaders may, sh- may have a show of piety and righteousness, but underneath there's no fruit. And really what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I, I came to find fruit. There was the promise of it. There's 20,000 priests. There's 10,000 rabbis. Uh, there's, there's smoke and there's, there's, there's fire and there's the temple of Herod and it's fascinating. And, and I came to find the fruit and there was none. This is a typical fig tree. Uh, I've, I've had them in Fresno. They were brought over by Armenians that were in Jerusalem in the place that we used to live in the parsonage, a pastor that had survived the Armenian Holocaust. It ended up in Jerusalem. And when he had come over, he brought 
some shoots and, and planted these. This is not the exact one, but I remember these are the fig leaves. These are the typical ones you'd find in, in Israel. And here's a little picture of Jesus cursing it. You kind of start to see the leaves turn brown a little bit. There's a withered one. I don't know if that's a fig tree, but it looks kind of cool. But look at this. It wasn't the season for figs, but what, what do you notice? What do you notice? What are those little round things? They're figs. They're figs. The way the fig tree operates is the fruit starts to come out, and those little pieces of fruit are edible. They're not delicious, but they are edible. And when you're hungry, that's something you want to eat. And then after those little things bud out, then the leaves start to go. And then you wait for the ripening period, and actually the fruit stays on it for a long period of time. And though it's not the season for when you harvest it, it's not the season for when you pick it, they're still edible. And he approaches this, this, this fig tree, and he finds all these leaves, which tells us, hey, it's produced the leaves, which means the fruit always goes before the leaves, so there's got to be something on it. He gets there, there's nothing. There's nothing. And at that moment, he uses that as an illustration to show the judgment on this idea of, of a structure that would be filled with hypocrisy. Filled with hypocrisy. Now, I, I, uh, I was thinking about this, this idea of it's better to be a sinner than a hypocrite. Jesus was cursing the Jerusalem leadership for not bearing fruit. Look at Micah chapter seven, if you want, verse one and two, if you just want to note it, I'll read it. It says, what misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Hosea in chapter 9, verse 10 says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the things they loved. Jeremiah writes, and over 60 times in the scripture, the fig tree is referred to and Israel is described in this capacity. Jeremiah chapter 8 I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no more grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. He's operating in this prophetic tradition. He proclaims judgment in a sense on the Jewish leaders. And after that, they decide to kill Jesus because they knew exactly what he was doing. Hypocrisy. I thought it was an interesting week for hypocrisy, quite honestly. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not in any way espousing a political position, although I have one. But I did find the hypocrisy remarkable. I remember at the election when the, the, the candidate, the president-elect, when he, when he had won office, a number of folks said, I'm leaving the country. And they said, they're going to Canada, they're going to Europe. None of them wanted to go to Haiti. I went in and I saw the display in the bookstore and said, these are authors from S-hole countries. Now, they weren't authors from Haiti. They were authors from Pakistan, Afghanistan. And I'm thinking to myself with the folks that put the display together, why did they pick those countries? Ponder that with me. Is, did they consider those countries to be that? I love what Governor Huckabee said when he was asked the question. He said, if, and there's 
contradictions between those who were in attendance at the meeting. And I'm, I'm thinking, let's just say he said it. He, Governor Huckabee said, his wife needs to feed him a bar of soap for breakfast. And I'm in full agreement. You just don't say that. That's just wrong. Absolutely wrong. From the office and the stature and what you represent, you don't do it. Now, he did it, maybe. I'm going to just assume he did it because he has a track record of things like that. <laughs> those who are without the first, you know, those who are without sin cast the first stone. I've been to certain countries where that was my expression, quite honestly. And I have no desire to move there. I, wa- I'm, I went there to help change it. I've been into the, the worst slums on the face of the earth, and I've seen the atrocities and the miseries. I've seen bodies lying in the streets. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And I went for a love of people and a heart to want to make their lives better. Now, that being said, I don't want to move to, to that place. I would like to create for them the opportunity and, and maintain this idea of, of encouraging the world to be transformed. Now, my point is this. It's not whether you're right or left or in the center. My point is this. There is room on both sides to throw hyperbole and to throw accusation. Give me enough time, and I guarantee you, I will offend you. And given enough time, I guarantee you will offend me. But we endeavor to work that through. Instead, what we tend to do is we become insulted and we distance ourselves and leave, and then we create division, and there's one insists and the other is determined, and not a small contention arises. But as people, Christians should set the example of endeavoring to work through this process. Interpersonal relationships and throughout the world itself. And what strikes me as interesting is the church itself was the first to decry it as I began to read some of the national pastors and, and taking a position of, of the immorality of this president, and rightfully so. The things that he's said and done, are, are, are I, I, I wouldn't want my children to do them, nor would I want to do them. But in the same regard, I ask them the questions, you've dismissed everything that he's attempting to do by what he did. That's like taking a portion of your life and dismissing all of it because of something he did, and you're no longer viable. I say that because of Marty Richter. There, there are folks in this fellowship, candidly and rightfully, who have been, listen to me, deeply hurt and offended. And, and I have gotten responses in the community, why would you do that to an 88-year-old man? What kind of a church is that? And they don't have any clue as to what's transpired and what I've been involved in. This is a man I deeply love and would consider and, and, and have to be my dad. My dad passed, and that's how I looked at Marty. And I'm the one who had to fire him. You think that's pleasant. It isn't. If you think it's hard, you're right. And yet, do we just dismiss him? Or do we endeavor to reconcile it? And, and I watch as folks go through the process of the pain... And some have been hurt before, and it's magnified by somebody trusted in a position of pastor. And and working through this, I marvel at the folks who've been hurt, how they've so wonderfully endeavored to forgive. Do you know the power of that? 
in the economy of God? Now, I know, and this is something that was brought to me, and, and the Bible says, be anxious in nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. The idea of anxious, I so want to have it reconciled in the body of Christ that I, I want to get Marty up here, and, I, and I, I, I want the congregation to embrace him and forgive him as he asked for that. And I had dinner with him on Friday. And I said, you know, Marty, we've gone through it. I've, I've listed all the grievances and the hurt, and you've acknowledged all of them. You're willing to you know, publicly share that. I said, but one of the things I didn't take into consideration is that as you've been working with the elders and I have availed myself to work with the folks who've been hurt by you, I know there's a number of folks who've been hurt that haven't come to me. And I, and I couldn't understand that at first until one of the folks who've been hurt said, Pastor Rob, you, you mean well, but in all fairness, you're not real approachable for somebody who is struggling because, well, you're a man. Now, my initial, what, what's that have to do with anything, you know? But God gave us two ears and one mouth. I said, tell me more. And they started to share. And as I sought to gain understanding, I realized they were right. And I know, and they know, of a number of folks who've been hurt but haven't said anything and haven't been able to voice their pain or their hurt. And, and in a sense, because I'm the access point for that, it's a little intimidating. So I, I'm just going to simply tell you, in the foyer, or foyer, is a slip of paper. It's yellow. It's on the table right out there. On that is a lady's name, Cynthia Thompson. Tender, wise, thoughtful. Her and another lady, Shawnee, are ready to meet with any of you who've been hurt. And you can email them or call them. You remain anonymous. And the reason why I think this is of great importance is because if, I know they're out there because I've already heard discussion. If you don't have the ability to express that, the, the room will be divided because what'll happen when Marty comes forward is those that haven't been hurt by him will want to extend grace and mercy. And those who have will go, wait a minute. Now I say that to you because this is us as a family. We have to work through this. And if you remain silent and you can't get to that place where you express it and come to a place to be able to forgive it and receive, you know, him telling you, I'm sorry, personally, it's going to affect the interpersonal relationships. And, and we can draw division lines and we can say things. And I've run into people that have left this church or actually didn't leave, but had heard rumor and said, how can you do that to an 88-year-old man? And all I can say is you, you have no idea. And, 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 and if this is the big C church and that's how our, our brothers and sisters outside the four walls of this gathering feel, they haven't endeavored to understand how a family operates. Marty is my friend. He's my brother, and I love him. I was hurt by him, quite honestly. There was a season of betrayal that I felt. I had to express that to him. And bless his heart, at 88, you can teach a dog, old dog new tricks. And tearfully, he just said, I'm so sorry. And for him, it, it, it took the transition for him to see the bridge of, of how people were hurt. And it clicked. And he was broken. It's hard to see a strong man cry. But to cry for the right things. And I, I, I share that because 
the, the hypocrisy exists in the church when our character is that of unforgiveness. When we operate in the context of judgment and the church is a financial entity and we have all the bells and the whistles and we avoid all the difficult conversations and quite honestly, the best way to grow a church is to avoid church discipline. Don't talk about these messy details. Don't engage in this conversation because it irritates people and they leave and then the gossip spreads around the church and then just, just avoid it. That doesn't make for a strong family and it doesn't make for a strong church. You work through it. You do the hard things and you do them gracefully and mercifully. And this is what Jesus is saying. That's the fruit I'm looking for. I'm not interested in the leaves. I'm not, listen, I'm not interested in the bells and the whistles and the buildings and the budgets and the baptism. I'm interested in relationships that minister to people. You see, you know what fruit is? Fruit is the tree going, and taking the nutrients and the, and it's, it's, and it's creating food, pushing those things out, great expense to itself, laboring, holding them. And then people come up and go, some people pull it off and go, I don't want that one. The tree's like, hey. And as, as a body of believers, we are fruit for the community. That they can come and, and the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And they see that and their lives are touched because we endeavor in relationships and in family and we do the hard thing. People like families that are strong. They want to come. I love being with your family, people say to us. And I say, you know what? I'm glad because we have worked hard. These people are hard to get along with. And everyone that I said that to looks at me and goes, oh, that's the pot calling the kettle black. We live with you, pastor. And we work through it. And then people say, I love your family. And you know what happens when you have, you have conflict and you resolve it? The family becomes stronger. You trust each other and you walk through life together. And then you have more fruit to be able to give to people because you can walk them through trials. You can walk them through relationships that are struggling because you have all the wisdom because you've been there, done that, and you got the t-shirt. And you have the fruit to show. And they can feed upon that with their wisdom and their counsel and their thoughts and their patience with you. And we become other-centered. I like what Spurgeon says. He said, what a lesson this is to our nation. We make a profession, a loud profession of religion, and yet... May, fall, uh, may fail to exhibit that righteousness with, which exalts a nation. What a lesson this is to churches. There have been churches which have stood prominent in numbers. The Holy Spirit has left them to the vain show of fruitless profession. And there stand those churches with the trunk of organization and widely extended branches, but they are dead. And every year they become more and more decayed. Such churches we have, even among nonconformists at this hour, May it never be so with this church. He's speaking of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. We might have a valued ministry, but what would this be without the Spirit of God? We might have outward efforts, but what of the, these without the Spirit of prayer, the Spirit of faith, the Spirit of grace and consecration? The blighted fig tree, Spurgeon says, was a simile of the Jewish state. 
The nation had promised, had promised great things to God. They were conceived in faith. They were a fig tree in full leaf, but there was no fruit upon them. The Jewish church was a massive glittering profession unsupported by spiritual life. Our Lord had looked into the temple and had found the house of prayer to be a den of thieves. He condemned the Jewish church to remain a lifeless, fruitless thing, and it was so. The synagogue remained open, but its teachings became a dead form. Israel had no influence upon the age. The church today is no longer a counterculture or an assimilating subculture that just stays with leaves and no fruit. Christ did not destroy the religious organization of the Jews. He left them as they were, but they withered away from the root till the Romans came. And with the axes of, his, of their legions, they cleared away the fruitless trunk. I was thinking about this picture of the two sons in the parable that Jesus had shared to emphasize his teaching. The one son said, you know, he said, go do this. And he says, no, no. We've never had a child do that in our family. Yes, we have. And it's frustrating. I told you to go. Now go. No. And I'm not reflecting on a conversation I've had with my children. I'm reflecting on the conversation I had with my father. (laughs) No. I'm not doing that. Go to your room. And you know what's amazing about being sent into exile? You miss your family. I mean, you can move up on the hill and you can get the house and you can get the fence around your yard and you can try to have the people stop flying their planes over and you can... <laughs> but you know what it is? It's community. One of, one of my most dreaded apps on the face of the earth is next door. It's amazing how mean people can be, how caustic. And this is what we're building as community. And the assumptions and the statements and the things said and the way it operates and just breaks your heart. And we're responsible for our words. And when you live in exile, and I remember sometimes I'd send the kids to their room and my dad had built this little timeout chair. It was about this big. My dad was a woodworker. And as the older the kids got, the dumber they looked sitting in that chair. Knees up in their face, you know. But when they were young, they'd be sitting in that chair, and they, some of them, you know, some of the kids just had strong wills, and they would just fight it. They, you know, they go through breakfast and lunch, and <laughs> it wasn't that cruel, but you know, close. And they just had that grimace look on their face, and I'd walk up to, you know, make sure they weren't emaciated, and I'd walk in, and I'd look at them, and I go, "Are you upset?" "Yes, yes, I am." "You want to know who you're upset with?" "I, I know who I'm upset with. I do too. Come on, I want to show you." "Oh." I grab their hand, I walk them into the, into the bathroom where the vanity and the mirrors are, and I have the little stool, Winnie the Pooh stool that my father-in-law made, and they step up on that, and they're looking in the mirror, and I'm behind them, and I said, you, you see who you're angry at? And they're looking at me going, yes. I go, no, 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 you don't see him. And I step away, and I go, there you go. That's the person. And they're looking, I go, just nope, keep looking, keep looking. They're looking at their face, and all of a sudden, they just start smiling. <laughs> and I said, you're the one who separated yourself from all of us. We're waiting for you to come back. We're family. And that's where they, I want, okay, you know, I'm sorry. And they go down and apologize. Everything is resolved. Resolved. And, and I, I love seeing that when, you know, I, I hate when they say no, but I love when they go and they have re- time with the Lord 
And sometimes I go, go read your Bible, go spend time in your room, spend, and they come back down, they go, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And you're like, that, that is so warming to the heart. The worst one is the lip service. Oh yeah, sure, I'll do that. You got it. I'll be home, you know, at one. Three o'clock rolls around. Well, I just decided I wanted to stay out longer. Oh, did you? I just decided I don't want another child. <laughs> that, that one hurts. And, and the Lord says, which one did the right thing? And what he's saying is, the son who said no, but then ended up doing it, is the one who is solid. The one who said they would do it, but didn't, is the one that's rejected. And what he's saying is, you can, you can be the nation of promise established by faith and have all the leaves and do nothing in accordance with what I desire. I desire, you know, grace and mercy and truth. But to be humble and to walk, to, to, to walk humbly before thy God and to love mercy. And, and, and the Lord says, you know, the harlots and the tax collectors, they said no at first, and now they're saying yes. And you guys have said yes, and you've never done it. And I, would, I tell you, it's better to be a sinner than a hypocrite in my house. Because what happens is you have the promise of all these leaves and the beauty of it. Herod's temple, there was nothing even remotely close to it. It was one of the marvels of the world. It was fascinating. And, and when the Lord made the judgment to the to the fig tree and it withered and died and all the disciples saw it and they knew exactly and and the Pharisees knew it. We got to kill him. This guy's a few short years later, 70 AD, the Romans came in and took that dead fig tree and ripped it up by its roots and burned it. And to this day, you can walk and see the ruins in, in Jerusalem of all the stones turned over by the Roman soldiers. You know, the Lord had made the temple according to 1 Kings 8. He said, here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you to, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you and do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. And they had the court of the nations where they wanted people to be able to have access to the living God. And all the all the Pharisees and the Jews, they, they became a tree of leaves and no fruit. And the hypocrisy became about money. And they avoided the difficult conversations and the intense things and the stuff you have to do to change culture. And they just avoided it because it really messes with the bottom line. And I'll tell you, it'd be a lot easier to avoid church discipline It'd be a lot easier to avoid conversations about the president. It'd be a lot easier to avoid conversations about hypocrisy and judgment and examining our own lives. If I could just blow sunshine your way each week, I'm sure we could get a lot more people in, but we'd be a lot of leaves and no fruit. But it's the hard conversations and the endeavoring in life that makes something worth being. And anyone who has a good family or has ever seen a good family knows that it's a lot of hard work but it's work that's worth it. I want to prepare us for communion by sharing with you just this simple picture of the next steps of what we do as a congregation.
these miracles of Jesus and this idea of cursing the fig tree, I want to share this with you because this miracle causes us to have some honest reflection and to observe our life. And the one thing we can do is clean up our side of the street. Ask yourself this question, is your relationship with the Lord producing fruit? Meaning others can feed upon the fruitfulness of your life. Are you growing in your knowledge of God or is the only scripture memorization you do what what Micah leads you in? Are you growing in your love for God? Is your worship from the heart or are you just going through the motions? Are you more concerned with the tempo of the music or the style of the music or the condition of your heart? Do you sing from the heart or from your voice? Do you pray deep within your spirit or from outer parts of your mind where you're confused and, and distracted? Do you ever have quiet time with the Lord or is the first thing you pick up your phone? Do you get alone with the Lord? Is there fruit of an abiding relationship with God? Because John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch can bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You got to spend time with the Lord if you're going to reflect the Lord. The Lord in, the Lord out. You have to. This can't be the only input of the Lord in your life. You're all adults here. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gathered them and threw them into the fire and they burned. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's the only thing that touches lives is fruitfulness, not leaves, fruit. You serve the Lord out of duty, obligation, or with a longing to see his kingdom come and his will be done with a joy. Do you give out of guilt and compulsion or cheerfully because it's an act of worship? I think of people that write that check. Calvary Chapel. Two dollars and 31 cents. I want to save you the bruising on your finger. And the indention on your table, just don't write it. Go get some fruit. Abide in him. Get joy. You look like you've been eating lemons. Peace. Peace that passes all understanding even in the midst of trial. Patience. Don't come to conclusions right away. Jesus said at the Conclusion of Matthew 26. In verse 26, he said, as they were eating, Jesus broke bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat, this is my body. Fascinating, as, as Bishop Huggins had said last week, he was fully man that he hungered and he was fully God that he was the bread of life. He was fully man that he would thirst, but he was fully God that he was the living water. And here in this picture, as he's instituting the Lord's Supper the night that he's to be betrayed, he says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Verse 27, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for, the, for many for the remission of sins. Not all, but many. It, it, it's, it's efficient for all the world. 
It's sufficient for all the world, but only efficient for those who would receive Christ. And, and that blood of the new covenant is his blood must be shed for the remission of sins. And he poured out his blood to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And he says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. He's saying that the, the fruit of the vine is going to be in my father's kingdom. He said, you know what that fruit's going to be? You, me, redeemed and delivered and forgiven and, for, and, and created to forgive. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my body will be broken, my blood will be poured out for you. I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna have mercy on you. I'm gonna pay the penalty for what you did with my own blood and I'm gonna cover it. I'm gonna pay that. All I ask in return is you do it for others. Don't walk around with moral pietism. Walk around as a humble, broken servant. One beggar showing other beggars where the food is. Don't have your nose so high in the air that you're blocking the sunshine, S-O-N, for the rest of the world. Jesus says, come unto me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Lead them to this bread of life and this cup of salvation. And do it by a life that is bearing fruit. Not the promise of fruit with the expanse of leaves and the absence of fruit, but the abundance of fruit because you're abiding in him. This isn't a game. We're a family. We work hard on these relationships and we do the hard things so that the world can be touched by lives of significance that have fruit that the world can feed upon. Freely receive and then go and give. The tree has to take in the nutrients and then it gives the fruit. Abide in the Lord and then go produce the fruit. Not just leaves, fruit. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. I'll have the worship team come up. What I want to just share with you real simply is this. We're going to take communion and the way we're going to do it is We're, all the, we're the sons that said no. And now it's time to say yes. And we're going to be reconciled to the Father through the Son. And as we freely receive, we're going to go and give. And come and realize that the only requirement to be a member in the body of Christ is to be a sinner saved by grace. There's no hypocrisy. There's transparency. You don't have to be someone you're not. Just be who you are. There's no bigger sinner in this church than the pastor. That's why God put me behind the wooden box. And the, the, a sinner greater than me is Paul, right? He's the chief of sinners. I'm working to beat him, but... Folks, let's just clean up our side of the street and go out and bless the world. May God use this time as we ins- inspect our lives to say, God, let's, let's start producing fruit. I'm tired of just having leaves. And may the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen?